You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church, good morning. It is a pleasure just to be able to open up God's Word with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dave Lee. I'm the Connections Pastor here at Grace, and I just had the privilege this morning to be able to open up God's Word um, with you here this morning. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 16. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd encourage you to take that Black P Bible there right in front of you. Turn it to page 962. You'll be able to follow along with us as we walk through um, really one final portion in, in this letter. Um, we are, we've been on a seven-month seven journey throughout this epistle, throughout this letter. And throughout um, this book, Paul has addressed a ton of issues. Um, that's something that why people love this letter so much is that, man, he covers everything. Uh, we've talked about things like division over church leadership. Um, how to handle church discipline, how to, how to resolve conflict, um, God's design for sex and marriage, the importance of the body of Christ, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. So as this letter comes to a close, Paul kind of changes his tone a little bit. Uh, Paul has been uh, smacking people around through, throughout the book, but then he comes to his final things that he writes to, to this group of, of believers here. And he doesn't address one more issue. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them about one more thing. He closes by lovingly encouraging them for the road ahead of them. And this morning, I'm going to focus on two verses found in this closing passage. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. This, two, two short verses today. And it says this. It says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Friends, each October, runners from around the world come to NEPA to compete in the Steamtown Marathon. Has anyone here ever, ever competed in, in that marathon? Let me show of hands. All right. Some people, cool, good. Obviously not me, but for you guys, that's awesome. Um, so people come from around the world to come and compete dur during this marathon. And along the course, you're going to find two things that are critical to the success of each runner. First, you're going to see signs directing runners where to go and informing them of how, of how long they still have to run. And second, you're going to find volunteers lining the course, offering encouragement and, and assistance. And we actually, the, our drive home, is on part of that, part, part of the course. We drive down Boulevard Avenue in Dixon City. And by that time, most of the runners are gone through. But there's always some stragglers, so we always try to help. We make sure to roll down our windows and say, you can do it, yeah! And I'm not sure if that's helpful for them. It's probably like, listen, these, these people are struggling, are struggling to finish this race, and that's some weirdo in a minivan trying to yell at them. But that's what we do. But just like a marathon runner, Every Christian needs to understand the race that they are in and be encouraged to keep going. And in these two verses, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul gives us four reminders that enable us to remain faithful on the road ahead. So let's pray. We'll, we'll dig into these two verses this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I have I've been so, so blessed, Lord, to be able to 
walk through this book with our church, to sit under the teaching of both uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Dan as well as we've unpacked this book. Thank you, God, for the truths, Lord, that, that, that we've been reminded of throughout. Thank you, God, for the places, Lord, where it has challenged us to, to step out in faith and, and follow after Christ in a culture, God, that, that so often rejects, God, your word and your teaching. But God, today, as, as we just wrap things up, Father, I pray, Lord, that your word would encourage our hearts today. That's, that, that's what I think um, the Apostle Paul intended when he penned these two verses. So God, I just ask you, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Give us encouragement. Give us reminders, God, that would help us to keep going, to keep seeking after Jesus, to keep following after, God, your plan and purpose for our lives today. And may we leave here today, God, ready to enter into a world that desperately needs the hope of Christ, uh, encouraged to, to do just that. So we love you, God. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to open up your precious word. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So church, the first reminder that Paul gives us in verse 13 simply is this, is that you have an enemy. Be watchful. See, the first thing that you need to understand about the Christian race, about the race that you're in right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that not everyone wants you to succeed. We have an enemy called Satan, the devil, the great deceiver who desperately wants you to fail. And while Satan does not have the power to take away your salvation, he will do whatever he can to ruin your testimony and wreck your life. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, if you've ever watched a National Geographic special on the African safari, you'll notice something about how lions hunt. See, lions will never attack a herd of elephant, gazelle, giraffes, whatever it is. They'll never attack that herd straight on. But rather, they kind of lurk around the outskirts, and they're waiting for one animal to be unaware of their presence, or maybe uh, to be isolated from the rest of the pack. And that is when lions strike. Friends, Peter in 1 Peter 5.8 says, Satan does that same thing. So often, he's not going to hit you head on with something, but he prowls around the outskirts of our lives, waiting for a moment to attack. And I can't walk through every single tactic that Satan uses, but I do want to bring up just two that you and I need to be watchful of. The first thing that Satan wants to do is that Satan wants to get you alone. Satan wants to get you alone. See, one of the tactics Satan uses is separating believers from the fellowship of God's people. And for some, Satan points out, points to past hurts and convinces us that Christians can't be trusted. So I'm going to separate myself. And I'm going to try to follow Jesus on my own without the safety and stability of the body of Christ. For others, Satan will tempt us to fill up our calendars with good things until we have no time to worship together and fellowship with other believers. When we don't have other believers speaking truth into our lives and encouraging us to remain faithful to Jesus, we are right where Satan wants us. 
So the first thing that he will try to do, he will get you alone. He will isolate you from other believers. But the second thing that Satan will often do is that Satan wants to make sin attractive. I love that portion of scripture that, that we prayed through today, Psalm 16, especially verse 11. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That is truth. Satan wants you to believe that that's a lie. Satan actually wants you to believe that we would be better off living in sin than following God's commands. He wants us to feel that God is actually withholding happiness, contentment, and joy from our lives by telling us to live our lives in a certain way. And church, that, that has always been Satan's M.O. If he can cause us to doubt God's goodness, if he can cause us to doubt, to doubt uh, that God wants the best for our lives, Satan has already begun to have a foothold within our hearts when it comes to sin, and Satan wants sin to be more attractive than living in the presence of God and obeying his word. But friends, countless, countless lives have been ruined by believing the lie that sin is better off, it's better off sinning than, than obeying God's word. And Satan will tell you, even if, even if you mess up, even if you sin, the, the, the fall, the, the consequences are going to be minimal. Friends, we've said it before, and we'll say, say it again. Sin will always take you farther. Farther than where you expected to go. Will keep you longer than you want to stay. And will hurt far more than what you will ever expect. So man, I could camp out all day. We could talk so much more about this and what Satan does, but I don't have that time. And you don't want to listen to me for, two, for three hours. I get it. So we're going to keep moving. But the first thing simply is that, listen, you have an enemy, so be watchful. Watch over your hearts for what you love and desire most. Watch over places where, where, you, where you're being tempted to walk away from the word of God and God's plan for your life and, and do whatever culture or Satan wants you to do. Watch over your time, seeing what fills up your calendar. And I'm telling you, it is easy to do. Um, we, have, we have kids in sports. We get it. We know how busy weekends can be. Something that we've tried to do is make Sundays a priority. That it's on the calendar. It's already there. And so other things, so we're, we're not making room for church. We're making room for those other things because Sundays are important. The gathering of believers are important. And listen, I get it. I'm a pastor. That's what I'm supposed to say. But I, I understand the struggle is real. Man, watch over our time. Watch over where we're doing. And lastly, watch over your hope. Being alert to where you find your ultimate fulfillment. And friends, you will find your ultimate fulfillment in following after Jesus, not in anything else that Satan tries to throw your way. But you have an enemy, so be watchful. The second reminder that Paul gives us here is found um, simply in the phrase, stand firm in your faith, from, from verse 13. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And Paul reminds us this, is that, listen, you have the truth. Stand firm. Now, you need to remember who Paul is writing to here. 
Paul, the city of Corinth was the, the capital of, of scholarship and of worldly wisdom. People came to Corinth to study. People came to Corinth to listen to what the other philosophers had to say. And so in the small corner of that intellectual marketplace stood believers. But you've got to understand here, believers were, were not in the majority. They were in the minority when it comes to what wisdom looks like. And scholars of that day would have looked down on, on these Christians for believing and holding fast to the truths of God's word. Friends, I get it. It is easy to walk into a classroom or enter into, into a discussion as a Christian and be looked down upon because we believe in a book that's over 2,000 years old. After my first couple years of Bible college, I went back uh, into a community college for a few years because it was super cheap, and I just needed, I, I need, I, I needed the credits. But in a class that didn't have anything to do with philosophy or anything else, um, it was a simple English class. But that professor, once they found out that I was a believer, would bring it up every, every single class. And it's like, man, every, every single topic under the sun, abortion, homosexuality, whatever it, it would be, he would like bring it up on purpose. Like, listen, we're not writing papers on these things. What are you doing? But, but the teacher would always bring it up. And then that he would let everyone else talk, and then he would always ask for my opinion. I was like, I hate my life right now. <laughs> but I needed the credits, so I stayed. But friends, we, we all have moments like that. We all have moments where we're going to be called into, called to step up to the plate, and people are going to ask, what do you believe? What does the Bible say about that? And the, the right thing to do isn't to say, well, I'm just going to not tell them I'm, I'm a Christian. If I don't tell people I, I'm a believer that I, that I believe this book, no, like I will have none of those problems. Well, then you, you will have other problems to deal with. But when people, once people find out that you, that you believe in this book, they will challenge your faith. And Paul is writing to encourage these Corinthians, you have the truth. Stand firm in it. And he gives us two ways that we can hold fast to the truth here. First is that we stand firm on the truth of God's word. Psalm 119 and 160, that great chapter on, on the word of God says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. That last part, every one of your righteous rules endures forever. This book, the word of God, is timeless. Yes, it was written a long time ago. And yes, it's been passed down from generation to generation. And yes, it doesn't agree with most of the things that society is saying at this moment, but it is true. God's word will not run out. God's word will, will never become expired. So we cling to it because of the timelessness of this book. 
But not only is it timeless, but it is practical. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, we stand firm on the word of God because it is truth and his statutes are timeless but we also stand firm on the word of God because it speaks to the very issues of life and is there to guide and direct our lives. Wisdom for relationships, for parenting, for sex, for finances, for purpose, and all other issues of life cannot be found in the latest edition of People magazine or whatever whatever news source you get. It is found right here. And I, I, we have to be careful with this. Because listen, I, I, I read a ton. And whenever we, we're, we're, in, we're in the thick of parenting right now. And so I think I have every parenting book that probably ever existed. Because I feel like that's what I need. And we're getting to that preteen moment. And so I'm trying to re- read all, all of those books now. And there's nothing wrong with reading. But it cannot be before we search God's word. struggle, we look for answers, and we turn to well-meaning people. Many of them are believers, but we don't turn to this first. So we got to believe that this book, that God's word speaks to the very issues of life, and we're going to turn there first. And you ask, God, what does your word say on this issue? God, what, what does your word say when it comes to discipline as a parent? God, what, to, what does your word say about what our kids need to know and understand about themselves? God, what, what does your word say about people living in a culture where, that is super saturated by sex? What, what do my kids need to, need to know going into going into that culture, it is found in this book. So we stand firm on the truthfulness and the timelessness of God's word. Paul also reminds the Corinthians that we also stand firm on the hope of the gospel. Turn with me, if you would, just back one page or two to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pastor Mike did an awesome job walking through this this chapter uh, a few weeks ago. I just want to read the first four verses. Paul says this. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then, then to twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Friends, Paul reminds them of the gospel he preached to them. That Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and that he rose all in accordance with the scriptures. 
And as we read those verses, what is one thing that wasn't there? You and I. See, the good news of the gospel, that, it's not, that it is not about us. It's all about Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that it doesn't depend upon you, you and I, what we do. It is simply believing in what Jesus has already accomplished. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus took the wrath we deserve. And by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. So we can stand firm on the hope of the gospel, knowing that, is it, that it is accomplished completely by Jesus. And there is no name under heaven besides his that is able to save us from our sins. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In a world that is, that, that is promoting false Jesuses all over the place, false saviors, we need to stand firm in the hope that we have in the gospel. And when we begin to doubt, am I good enough? Have I done enough? We need to go back to 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, no, 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 Jesus did everything. It's not about you. You can never, you, you can never earn your salvation, and it's not on you to keep your salvation. It is based upon the finished work of Jesus. So you stand firm in that. Even though the world will tell you otherwise. You have the truth. Stand firm. Friends, the world wants you to doubt the validity of God's word and the hope that we have in the gospel. But we must be committed to holding fast to the truth of scripture and salvation found through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's been said that every mighty oak tree you ever see is nothing more than a little nut that refused to give ground. And friends, we're, the world is, gonna, is going to think we're nuts. But you stand firm. You have the truth. Live in it. Stand firm in it. Paul's third command comes from these two phrases found in verse 13 where, where he says, act like men, be strong. And so what Paul wants to remind us here is that, listen, that you have a defender. So live with courage. Live with courage. These verses have often been, been used for Father's Day, where pastors like to come and beat up other guys for not being the men that they're supposed to be. We're not doing that today, although if you're living in your mom's basement, you probably shouldn't. So we can move you along. That is not my goal for today. That will be for a different, uh, different sermon. But this, uh, the, the phrase act like men isn't so much about the appeal for men to stop acting like boys but a call to stop allowing fear to keep us from stepping out in faith and obedience. See, and the phrase actually, be, be strong, is actually passive. 
It means that I'm receiving strength from someone or something else. It's not saying that you have to muster up the courage in inside yourself. It's actually saying, no, you need to recognize that you can't do it on your own, so you need a source of strength outside of yourself to stand up and do what, what God has called you to do. It's the, it's the picture of Popeye and, and, and his spinach. He wasn't strong without that spinach, right? That's what made him strength. That's where his strength came from. The same is true with God in our walk. He's not saying act like men, muster up strength, pull, pick yourself up from, by your bootstraps. He's saying, no, acknowledge that you can't do it on your own, but acknowledge that, so, that you have someone else who can. Ephesians 6.10 says, be, be strong in the power of God's might. It says that, that put on the power of his might. We are, we are working off God's strength, not our own. And because of that, Paul reminds us to do two things. The first is that, listen, you need to remember who walks with you. Remember who walks with you. I've been in some shady earth situations in parking garages, especially at nighttime. I feel like, um, yeah, I just put myself in bad, in bad spots. Um, I remember, uh, this was 15 years ago, I'm walking through, uh, my mom was going through cancer treatments in Camden, New Jersey. Like, one of the most, like, lawless places around, like, you do not want to be caught, like, in the morning in Camden, let alone at night in Camden. But here I was, in the middle of the night, in Camden, um, in the parking garage, and I was, I was by myself, and I'm thinking, this is just, this is not good. Not a good situation. And I, I didn't run. I was a man, but I, sp I speed walked all the way to my car. <laughs> like, I wasn't, I, I wasn't going like this, but I was doing pretty, pretty close. I'm praying the whole way, Lord, just get me to my car, and I locked that thing as fast as I could. But there's a difference between you walking in a parking garage at night by yourself or if I had a guy like Bob Olecki. If, I, if Bob's with me, I can do whatever I want. Like, Bob will be, Bob is there. Bob at that time would be my protection. Here I'm talking about act, act like men. I'm like, I need Bob to walk me to my car. <laughs> but so often we get into these seasons of life, of life where we forget who walks with us. I love, I love this verse in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Now remember, the children of Israel are on the brink of the promised land, on the banks of, of, of the Jordan River, and they're seeing cities fortified by walls. They're, see, they're, seeing, they're seeing people that look like giants. This is what Joshua reminds them. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Friend, no matter what scenario or season of life you are walking into, know that you never walk alone. See, we can have the courage knowing that the same God in the Old Testament who parted the Red Sea who provided for his people in the wilderness and who broke down the walls of Jericho walks with you now. Hebrews 13.5 says, the promise of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So remember 
who walks with you. Because our strength is found not in ourselves, but in the presence of God. But not only are we to remember who, who walks with us, but we need to remember who fights for us and fights for you. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, the command to wait implies something, doesn't it? If you ever tell your kids, they're asking you a question, and you say, wait, just wait, just wait. You tip, that typically means that you're going to get to it, that you're going to do something, that you're, that you're going to answer their question, that you're going to tie their shoes, that you're going to meet their need, whatever it is, just wait. This is what God tells his people. He says, wait for the Lord. I'm going to act. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Friends, when we find ourselves struggling and confused about what to do, we are often called to rest in the fact that God will act, that God will fight. I love what Moses tells the, told of the children of Israel as they stood before the Red Sea. He says, wait, wait, and watch as the Lord fights for you. Wherever you are today, remember who fights for you. And wait for God to work, for God to move, to do what God does best. Friends, that is how we win. That is how we fight every battle, that we wait for what the Lord is going to do. And when we do that, you can experience peace knowing that God is on your side. We can experience hope knowing that God isn't going to abandon us. And we can, we can experience courage knowing that we will never walk or fight alone. Just wait. And in verse 14, Paul gives one more encouragement to help us remain faithful on our race. And we'll see that in verse 14 where it, where it says, let all that you do be done in love. And so friends, Paul reminds us, listen, we have a mandate. Do everything in love. A few weeks back, Pastor Dan walked through 1 Corinthians 13 with us and broke down that love chapter. So I'm not going to go back and redo everything that, that he said, but I do want, want to remind you of one thing. When we do everything in love, it's actually a command that Jesus gave to his disciples. John 13, 34 says, says this. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I has lo have loved you. You are to love one another. One of the last things Jesus said to his followers before his crucifixion was, hey, you have a mission. You have a mandate. Love one another just as I have loved you and just as you will see me in just a day. Love you by giving up my life for you. And Paul says, 
something that you and I need to remember is that love should be the controlling attitude and factor that controls every action that we do. It says that love is an action and it calls us to live differently. And here are two simple ways that you and I can show love to one another. The first simply is that we seek the benefit of others. Philippians 2.4 says, Think not on only on your interests, but also on the interests of others. That we put the needs of other people before our own. And throughout the letter, Paul has said over and over and over again, you live for the good of others. We lay down our rights for the good of others. We, we follow after Jesus because other people are watching us as well. We give to meet the physical, tangible needs of people because God has called us to love others. That our lives are not wrapped up in ourselves. They're wrapped up in honoring God and loving people. It's like one of my favorite lines. I love to, to tell my kids, life isn't about you. You are not the sun. It doesn't revolve around you. And I say that, and then I do my little speech, and the kids go away, and then God's like, Dave, life isn't about you. Why did you do this, 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 and this? It's like even, even that speech you just gave, it's not about you. And friends, we just need to remember, life isn't about us. We seek the good of others. We sacrifice for the good of others. We meet tangible needs for the good of others. And so we simply ask, God, how can I be a blessing to other people around me today? So not only do we seek the benefits of others, but secondly, we see the best in others. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 says this, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Friends, love gives people the benefit of the doubt. Love allows us to see people not as static, but as people that are being changed by the Holy Spirit's by people that can grow, by people, by people that, can, that can turn their face more towards Jesus and make real changes in their lives. Something that I've really had to work through is that, man, I come from a family of grudge holders. And, like, I see people, you, you wrong me one time, it's over. You're dead to me. Not you guys. I love you guys. <laughs> and God has done a work in my life for that. Friends, we have got to see the best in people. We've got to understand that God, just as God is at work within our own hearts, God is at work in the hearts of other people. And yes, people will fail us. Yes, people will disappoint us. But love says, I understand what you've done and I forgive you. And I'm willing to work towards reconciliation. I'm willing to see what God will do and how God will use your life. So we see the best in others. We give people second, third, fourth, fifth chances. And the very moment when you think, I'm done, I've given enough chances, I want you to think, how many chances has God given you? 
How many times have you asked for forgiveness, and a day, two, two days later, a week later, a month later, you go and do the very same thing you've asked forgiveness for? Then you come back and say, God, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? And as God in Christ has forgiven us, we are called to forgive other people and see the best in them. God calls us to love. So let's do it. Let that control our very actions. And when we do, this is the thing I love about the body of Christ so much, is that I believe that the body of Christ is the best evangelistic tool that you and I have. Because when unbelievers come in and they see how we treat each other and they see how we forgive and they see how we meet tangible needs and and they see how we seek uh, to bless others and see the best in others, they're going to say, something special is going going on here. And I may not know what it is and I may not understand all of it yet. But something's different here. And I truly believe it opens up the door of their hearts to hear and understand and accept the gospel when they see it tangibly lived around them, whenever we gather together as a body of believers. Jesus says that people, the world will know them, will know us by how we love and treat each other. Let's go do it. Friends, as we close, I just want to, I want to echo the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the chapter that we just finished up. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, if there is ever a verse to memorize, this is it. If there's ever a verse to go to when we are discouraged in running this race, this is the one I would turn to. Friends, let me remind you, you have an enemy, so be watchful. You have the truth. Stand firm in it. You have a defender, the Lord Jesus himself, so live with courage. You have a mandate. Do everything in love. Friends, Jesus never promised that the road ahead would be easy, but he does promise that it would be worth it. So my prayer for you is that you would finish whatever road you have in front of you. And when you come to the end, Jesus will be there waiting for you. So let's go get it. I invite the the prayer team and the praise team forward. We're going to close in a final song, but... But before we do, I just want to take a moment um, just to pray over, pray over you guys. Um, this is hard. And as we come to the end of, of this letter, this wasn't the end of the story for the Corinthians. I want you to understand this isn't the end of our, of our road either. So we need the encouragement to, to be faithful moving forward. So why don't we stand? Let me just pray over you, and then we'll, we'll close by singing one more song. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for these two little verses that we found in 1 Corinthians 16. God, I thank you, Father, 
Lord, that we need, we need to be reminded, God, that we do have an enemy. And Satan wants to wreck our testimony, God, and ruin our lives. But God, may we, may we be watchful for what he is trying to do within our lives, to the ways he's tempting our hearts. God, I pray for people, God, that are struggling with it. If, if your word, Father, is worth living by and trusting in, Lord, today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them renewed confidence, God, to stand firm in what your word says. God, for those who are facing just hardships, Lord, and difficult situations, Father, I pray, Lord, that they would have the courage to remember, God, that who walks with them and who fights for them, God, that they would lean and trust and rely on you today. And lastly, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us, Father, remember the mandate that we are to love one another, God, as you have loved us. God, help us live outside of ourselves. Help us to see Christ as our example, Father. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we even finish up this study in 1 Corinthians today, that this isn't the end. God, we know that you have a plan for this church, a plan for our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful, Father, to complete it. We love you, God. We pray all these things in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.